And I, it reminds me of James chapter 2, verse 17, which says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Your true faith is what you live out every single day. You can tell more about what someone believes by how they live their lives than by what they say, what shirts they wear, what size of Bible they carry. Senior pastor and founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, Chuck Smith, once said, You can call yourself a cheeseburger all you want, but it won't make you one. Or you maybe have heard it this way. You can walk into a parking garage, but it won't make you a car. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is no different. God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does expect us to say yes to him and allow him to continually change and make us into the image of Christ. Let's join Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation for our continuing study entitled Diagnosis Be Revived. The reality is, is Jesus has got the goods. All these other things are fine. I have no problem with it. We live in in a car culture. Most of us can't just walk everywhere, so you get a car. And you get a car that suits your preferences and your likes and your budget, Lord willing. If you're you're getting on in years and you don't want wrinkles, you can feel free to buy the anti-aging cream. It's your face. (laughs) None of these things are wrong. But in all the things that we enjoy, we have to remember who really has got the goods. And Jesus of Nazareth has the goods. Look what it says. It says, these things say, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, you find these idioms show up in three different places. Revelation 1.4, 1.16, and 1.20. Look at what it says in Revelation uh, 1.4. It says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now you turn to verse 16. It says, and he has... In his right hand, seven stars. You go to verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So we find that, of course, the the stars that he holds, those are the messengers to the churches. Jesus holds them in his hand. He has them. They're his own. Now, of course, the seven spirits of God It's enigmatic at best. It's mysterious. We know, according to the book of Ephesians, that there's only one spirit. So what are the seven spirits of God? And I'm here to tell you, I don't know. I can give you lots of conjecture, lots of ideas. We know from a a numerics idea that seven is the number of completion. So some would say that the seven spirits of God speak of the completeness, the totality of Jesus' range of exercise for the church. Others would say that each spirit, because we see it before the throne, is specific for one of the seven churches. 
that has the Spirit works uniquely. Other people want to reference the book of Isaiah. Chapter 11, verse 2, which gives us seven ways that the Spirit of God works. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. All of these are good. I bet you got some of your own. Those of you who are out there who are Bible scholars, you got your own ideas about what it means. I'm here to tell you, I don't know. I, I would love to give you, like, this is what it means. This is the, the interpretation. But what I will tell you is this. To a church that has a reputation of being alive but is dead, Jesus has the goods because the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. So for a church that is, in effect, dead, although seeming to be alive, Jesus has got the goods to revive them. That's what this means. By having the Spirit for them, by having the messengers those who have caretaking authority over them, Jesus has the goods to do what needs to be done in Sardis, and Jesus has the goods as to what needs to be done in your life. Let me say that again. Jesus has the goods as to what needs to be done in your life. For some of us, maybe a lot of us in here, already put our faith and trust in Jesus. And every single day, we're learning how to trust that Jesus has the goods to take care of our lives. He has today, tomorrow, the future, our fears, the ability to overcome. For some of us, we put our faith and trust in Jesus, but where we want, we think we have the goods for our own life. And although we believe in Jesus, we're off trying to do our own thing because we don't really don't trust God. We don't trust that he can take care of it. For others of us in here today, maybe watching online or, or in the chapel or wherever you are, you are not yet at a place where you can say, Jesus has got the goods for my life. Where you're like, I don't know if I want to believe in Jesus. I don't know if I do believe in him. I don't know that I should trust him with my life. I'm here to tell you, if that's you, if you're the person who has yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm here to tell you that Jesus has the goods for your life. That's, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to tell you that Jesus has everything that you need for life, for flourishing, for joy, to live a life unlike anything you ever imagined. That's right there for you in Jesus. He's got the goods. He's got the goods. Now, notice what happens as we continue. At the end of verse 1, it says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Do you see that? I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. There is nothing good spoken about the church in Sardis. Not one thing. Jesus says, I know your works. And you'd be like, okay, well, at least they have works. He's like, but you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. This church has not one good thing spoken of. That's tragic. That's a tragedy. But notice what he says. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. So Jesus jumps right into the bad. There's no good on his checklist. When Jesus is doing the diagnostic checklist of the church in Sardis, you get to the good and he just jumps right over it. He gets right to the bad. I know that you have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. And my exhortation to you is simply this. Don't be dead. Don't be dead. Don't 
be dead. And that statement is both cheeky and easy to remember, and it's also radically logical. Don't be dead spiritually. Don't live a life gaining the whole world and losing your own soul. Don't be the kind of person that buys hook, line, and sinker all of the cultural desires of our day and miss out on the very reason you were created. There's nothing more illogical than being dead when you should be alive. It's not logical. It makes no sense on any level. But what's fascinating is that God created us in his image and in his likeness, and he gave us the ability to choose, and God will abide by our choices to be dead if we want to be. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me either, but I'm not God. So I'm here to tell you, don't be dead. Notice, dead people still work. Dead people still have reputations, but they're dead. See, but he says, I know your works. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Jesus is saying, look, you have a good reputation. People know about you, but it's not what it seems. People think you're alive. You're dead as a doornail. You are kaput, flatline, life over. You're the living dead. That's what he's saying. And I'm here to tell you that I know that there's some people here today in the sanctuary, in the chapel, watching online, picking up Slater. People think that you're a godly person and you are dead. You are. Not because I say, I mean, who am I? I'm nobody. I'm just another guy, a, a grace case. I'm just like, Lord, I need grace. I need mercy. I don't got it together. Believe me. Jesus knows. But there's nothing worse than everybody thinks you're one thing and God knows you're something completely different. There's no more vicious rebuke from Jesus than what we see right here. Because he says, look, everybody thinks you got it going on, but you're dead. You're dead. You're like Weekend at Bernie's. You guys remember that movie from, was it the 80s? Maybe the 90s? You younger folks, don't worry. They're going to make a remake of it soon. They're doing all the old movies from the 80s. They're bringing them back out again. But Bernie was this real, you know, uh, um, you know business guy, super rich guy. And, and they go to his house, and Bernie dies. And they spend the whole weekend pretending like Bernie's alive. And so they, you know, they put him on the boat, and they put, like, a little, you know, uh, string on his wrist. And every time someone say, hey, Bernie, and they'd pull the string, and he'd be like. <laughs> and the whole movie, everyone thinks Bernie's alive, except Bernie's really dead. Some of us are weakened at Bernie Christians. Playing church, everyone thinks, yeah, they got it going on. Brother and sister, don't be dead. Don't be dead. See, it's not about what it seems to be. It's about what Jesus sees. It's easy to have a reputation, but not really be anything. Listen to Donald Barnhouse, great commentator. He says, their state is described in a single word, soulless profession. They had a name to live, but were dead. It was not scandalous wickedness, but a decent death. The form retained, the heart gone. Christ owned in word, ignored in deed, creeds correct, conduct respectable, life departed. Sound doctrine. 
and outward propriety, affections not only waning, but gone. His name held, his word read, his truth owned, himself forgotten. Wow. For you and I, it reminds me of James chapter 2, verse 17, which says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Your true faith is what you live out every single day. You can tell more about what someone believes by how they live their lives than by what they say, what shirts they wear, what size of Bible they carry. Your life tells the testimony. And all of our lives as Christians, we don't do works to get saved. We do works because God has done a work in our life. We roll up our sleeves and we serve selflessly. We serve a broken world because Jesus is real. That's what we do. And each one of us, our faith should have accompanying works that go along with it. Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. These works that we do. So brother, sister, don't be dead. Don't be dead. Now, we're going to move into the challenge. And I think it's important that I let you know this, that Jesus, in saying that they're dead, doesn't want them to stay dead. He doesn't want to keep them dead. He says, look, I want you to be revived. And if you're in here today, in the chapel, wherever watching this, if when I talked about don't be dead and the Holy Spirit saying, that's you, you're the dead one. I want you to know, listen, God doesn't want to keep you there. So now is your time to hear from the Lord. If the Lord's put his finger, there's deadness in your life. You are not walking with Jesus. You have a reputation. You're really not there. Do not fear. Do not run away because Jesus is saying, come, come to me. And that's exactly how Jesus is going to talk to the church in Sardis. He doesn't say, you're gone. I'm throwing you guys out. He's saying, look, I want you to be revived. So if you're here and you're hearing this, it's time to be revived and let the Lord speak to you because he is not content to keep you dead. He's not content. He wants you living, vibrant, useful, on mission with him in a lost and dying world that needs to be transformed by the spirit of God working through the people of God based on the word of God. He wants that for you and for me. So don't stop here because Jesus doesn't stop here. Don't stop. Oh, yeah, I'm dead. I'm done. I'm shamed. I'm condemned. No, 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 no. Jesus doesn't stop there. Satan wants to keep you there. Jesus doesn't stop there. Because look at what he says in verse 2. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now I'm going to make two points out of this challenge. The first I want to pull out first, and then I'm going to show you seven steps to revival. Seven keys or steps to revival. Before we get there, Notice at the end of verse 3, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come to you as a thief, and you will know, you will not know what hour I come upon you. you know what this teaches us? This teaches us that we are living on borrowed time. We are living 
all of us on borrowed time. When Jesus starts saying, look, I'm going to come as a thief, that's a very deep and long biblical picture that Jesus gives about what scholars call the doctrine of imminency. What that means is that Jesus, his return is at an hour that we do not expect, like a thief in the night. Listen to Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 to 44. Jesus says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. I mean, God forbid your house got broken into. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, it happened when I was a child. And my, I remember talking to my parents about it later. And they said, man, I just felt so violated because I come home every day, I felt totally safe. And then after the house got broken into, every time I come home, I felt unsafe. He just never quite knew what was going on. Jesus is saying, look, you need to be watchful. You need to be watchful because if you're not watchful to the church and stars, he says, look, I'm coming as a thief. I'm coming upon you unexpectedly. And the reality is, is since the ascension of Jesus, every single moment, it could be the last moment. Every single generation of followers of Jesus are waiting for the imminent return of Jesus at a moment we do not know. And you need to be ready for when he comes. You see the bumper sticker, Jesus is coming, look busy. You guys ever see that one? I love that one. They're making fun of us. They are, but I still think it's funny. Because it's true, he is coming, but God knows who we are. And we should be ready when he comes. Jesus is saying, look, to the church and stars, you guys are living on borrowed time. If you are not willing to take my challenge, I'm going to come like a thief at a moment you don't realize. That's what he says to them. His challenge is, look, you're living on borrowed time. And I think this is an important application for us because you and I are living on borrowed time. Listen to Winston Churchill. Now, I don't always, I don't often quote political folks, but this is him speaking to Great Britain in the early days of World War II. And I thought it was such a powerful quotation on this idea of being watchful, being mindful. He says this, I must drop one word of caution. For next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. That's rough, isn't it? He's saying, look, our nation is at war, and next to cowardice and treachery, the next worst wartime crime is overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness. And that's exactly what was going on in the church in Sardis, and that is also exactly what's going on in some of our lives today. Some of us, because we're like, hey, I'm a Christian, and I got all the time in the world, so there's an overconfidence, and it's leading to neglect and slothfulness. It's not leading to full engagement in the purposes and plans of God in your own life, in your own family, at your job, in your neighborhood, in our community, and in the world. Because of our confidence in Jesus, we're sitting back in the recliner. We're popping a soda pop. We got a plethora of little remotes so we could just 
work out our thumbs the rest of our lives. When Jesus wants each person all the way in, because of the finished work of Jesus, we become a family. We get fully engaged, being the body part that God has created us to be, and we go out transforming our community and our world because God is transforming us. For some of us, our faith in Jesus has led to overconfidence, which has led to neglect and laziness. And we look like we're alive, but we're really dead. Some of us carry big Bibles and we haven't served anybody in a long time. Some of us talk of judge everyone. We've never even given a penny to the work of the Lord. Not rolling up our sleeves, getting our hands dirty, knee deep in sheep dump. That's who God wants us to be. See, we're living on borrowed time. You may never have another chance to share the gospel with your spouse, with your kids, with your neighbors. You may never have a chance to help feed that person that you know is in a bad way and you have refrigerators full of food. You may never get another chance because Jesus could come back like a thief and we miss God's blessed opportunity to change the world. I don't know about you guys. I'm not looking to go out like that. And you shouldn't be either. When Jesus comes back, we shouldn't just look busy. We should be busy. We should have our, our sleeves rolled up, more ministry than we know what to do with recruiting all our friends. You've got to help me. God's on the move. I don't even know what to do. Help, help, help. Because there's so many needs. The needs are so vast. So we are living on borrowed time. Now, I pull that out because I want to show you seven keys to revival from verses two to four. Jesus gives us seven keys. Now, what's fascinating about this with Jesus, these seven keys, and if you're following the study guide, there's a space for each one. What's fascinating about Jesus is like, you're dead. You better get going because I'm coming. He doesn't say, well, listen, I'm going to revive you. He actually gives them things to do. Now, don't miss that because some of us are fatalistic in our view of God where we say, if God wants to do something in me, he's going to do it, and I, I just have to sit back and wait for it. God places all of these keys on the church's side of the wall. He already wants to revive them. He already has done everything necessary to take care of them, but they need to step up to the plate. So these seven keys are us stepping up to the plate. Look at them. First, be watchful. Very simple. Right there in the beginning of verse 2. Be watchful. It's a call to reverse their attitudes in a radical way. It means wake up. Be constantly alert. So Jesus begins to be like, wake up, open your eyes, be ready, be alert. For some of us today, we just got to open our eyes. We got to wake up. Maybe today for you, it's an alarm sounding spiritually. Wake up, be awake, open your eyes. He doesn't stop there. Look in the middle, second part of verse two, and strengthen the things which remain. Jesus is Today, Pastor Daniel wrapped up the history behind the church in Sardis. Sadly, we learned that Jesus didn't have anything good to say about this church. Pastor Daniel then began to share with us seven keys to revival. As we just closed this message, we heard the first one, be watchful. The context is that we should be constantly alert and on guard. 
Now, here's Pastor Daniel with a special message. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel. I hope that you are blessed as we studied God's Word together today. You know, it is so important that you're in fellowship at a local church. God does amazing things when we gather together in Jesus' name over His Word. So listen, if you live in the Vancouver, Washington area, the Portland metro area, or if you happen to be passing through, we'd love for you to join us at Crossroads on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11.15 or in the middle of the week on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Even if you're not in our area, please reach out and connect with the church family right where you are. Listen, here's Josh with a sneak peek at what I'll be sharing in our next program. Thanks, Daniel. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue with numbers two through seven of the seven keys to revival. Pastor Daniel will continue to challenge us to apply these keys to revival with hopes that revival will truly begin to happen in our lives. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through a series entitled Case Study next time. Until then, may God bless.